Welcome to Live Living Transformational Living Connection. Live Living Transformational Connection is all about connecting our body, mind, and spirit to God, addressing those spaces in our lives that affect our health, but are really our cry for healing and for God. Today I have with me Tiffany Bloom, author of Never Alone. Tiffany, you demonstrate this so well in your book, Never Alone, addressing a major health issue we seldomly speak of, loneliness and social isolation, which are often overlooked despite being vital public health concerns. Negative health outcomes linked to loneliness include high blood pressure, cardiovascular disease, disability, cognitive decline, and depression, and even early death. Tiffany, why do you think loneliness and social isolation are not addressed as often as other health risks? Um, so often in our attempt at self-preservation, when we feel overwhelmed, we isolate, and we push the very people away who could help us navigate our troubles, and really be companions for the journey of our lives. Mm -hmm. Do you think that um, people see perhaps also um, as a sign of weakness, um, they don't, maybe there's some shame involved and they don't want to tell people they're lonely, especially since we're supposed to be such a social society now, uh, have, you know, culture-wise, we have social media, we have so many friends, do you think perhaps there's an issue of shame there? Absolutely. I think that uh, we want to be okay. We want everything to be fine. We don't want to admit our weaknesses. We want to boast about our strengths. And so there is, a, there is a fair amount of vulnerability to be honest with yourself that you are struggling with loneliness. And we don't want to be judged, so we find ourselves not willing to share, even with people that love us, what's really going on, for fear of judgment or that they won't want to be around us or that they won't crave our companionship because of our struggle. But the truth is, vulnerability is our strength, not our weakness. When we are willing to share what makes us feel so alone, and that's what the enemy, that's what the enemy wants. That's where he does his best work, is when we're isolated, when it's all us by ourselves. And so if we can move past understanding that I am not the only person who feels this way, no matter what happens, no matter what happened to us, uh, at what age or what time, we feel like we're the only person going through that issue. But the truth is, regardless of our experience, those feelings that we all have um, as, as, a, as an after effect, those are the same, those feelings of rejection and shame and loneliness and isolation, even jealousy um, and self-hatred. Those all come as a result of whatever horrific or tragic experience, however little or big, that we had. And so, you know, the, the flesh wants to think, oh, I need to protect myself, but the soul longs for connection. We are absolutely built for connection. It's, it's how we're hardwired. It wasn't our idea. It was the king of kings. And when we give in to that connection and we seek healthy and safe connection where we feel seen, heard, and known, then we can thrive. Mm, that's good. Our soul yearns for connection and and vulnerability is our strength, not our weakness. That's some, you know, intellectually, I think we get that. But to live that out, is, especially vulnerability, is a tough one. But, you know, 
But it's good, it's good to know that, and that's something you know, we need to work at. What was the driving force that compelled you to write this book, Never a Move? My own experience of abandonment at birth and later getting dumped by the man of my dreams and even after that losing a child in the adoption process um, and witnessing the struggle of my friends made me realize that if we are willing to get deep down to the depth the deepest, darkest chamber of our heart and address our pain and address our fears and address our hurts, then we would find that we are not left to fight the hardest battles of our lives, but rather Christ is with us, acquainted with our grace, and he is the lifter of our heads and healer of our wounds. And so just my own journey of really finding Christ in the dark places and spaces of my own soul I felt it was such a beautiful message to share with every woman who has ears to hear and eyes to read that this would be an encouragement to their own soul, no matter what their journey looks like. Great. Tiffany, how old are you? I am 31. <laughs> it seems like you have, have quite a journey in such a short time. I mean, I, I, I've enjoyed reading your book, but I have been amazed of your life experience. Tell us Tell our audience a little bit about your life. Yeah, well, I've got to be honest. The things I share in the book are a bit of a series of unfortunate events. But um, I, uh, I was, as I mentioned, uh, just adopted when I was just shy of two. And when I graduated high school, I didn't have any money for college. And so I joined a ministry internship. I, I had found Christ in my youth, and he became my absolute everything. I remember thinking, if this is real, if Christ is real, I'll give my whole life to this. Okay, let me and, uh, up a little bit here now because I've read the book. Now, where originally are you from? Because I think that's significant to your story, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, I, was one of more, I was one of more than 25 million orphans in India. Specifically, I'm from Delhi, the capital. Mm-hmm. And you were adopted by American I was adopted. Uh-huh, yeah, I was adopted by a couple in the Pacific Northwest. And I, was, I am still a Pacific Northwesterner up here in the left corner here. And um, they had a heart to adopt a little girl. And they had two little boys. Uh, my brothers are six and eight years older than me. And so it was about a three-year process for them. So they had started the process to adopt even before I was born. Um, But I joined their family just shy of two. But growing up, I grew up in a predominantly white community. And that, because I I witnessed no inclusion of people of color, let alone an Indian woman or Indian man, um, I really struggled to feel like I was worthy or equals at the table with my peers and with the people around me. Um, I didn't meet another boy or girl of color until I was 12 years old. So that definitely so played a part in the feeling of being socially isolated and, yeah. and even the notion of loneliness. That had a lot to do with it then. Yeah, Absolutely. From the very beginning, I felt like the deviation from the standard. Yeah, so um, growing up, I, um, I always struggled with this deep sense, not only rejection because I looked different than everybody else, but because I also was the girl in class who 
didn't have a baby picture or a beginning that everyone else had. I had this choppy past with no details and no names and no wow. pictures and no proof. And it really, it really just messed with my understanding of belonging. And I think any woman, you know, if she's been in an abusive relationship, if she's been rejected by her parents, um, if she's been left by the person she loves, I think that that feeling of belonging can be ripped from us. Often when we, we didn't go looking to have it taken away from us, but it's taken nonetheless. And so I think that this so even hunger you, for acceptance and significance and belonging, um, we, all, we all crave it. Right. So even though you came from a loving family, you still felt that you didn't belong. Yeah, I think that... Um, you know, they they did the best they understood, but they couldn't understand it. They couldn't understand it that I felt different and um, my parents are white, my brothers are white. They couldn't quite grasp the fullness of the rejection I felt because I knew somewhere on the earth there was a mother and father who looked like me. And I felt that why, why was that taken away? Why was that connection severed? Um, and, you know, and it's, a situation I will never know to this day, but it was so painful, especially as a little girl, you know, four and five years old, not understanding. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so did you go looking for actually your birth mother, your real mother? Yeah, I, um, I didn't have a, any name or paperwork. She literally just dropped me off um, at, a, at a home for babies. And so I, uh, I have no, no, no name to go off of. There's really nothing to search for. And so I did have the opportunity. I was uh, in India um, speaking at a women's conference, and I was able to extend my time in India and go up to Delhi um, and visit the orphanage where I was left. And it was an extremely powerful encounter um, that I did share a little bit about the book that was just so, um, it was heart-wrenching and beautiful all at the same time. Truly mm-hmm. a bittersweet experience that I wouldn't trade for the world, but at the same time wouldn't wish it on anybody. And uh, it was one of those moments where I felt the presence of the Lord more than I ever have before. Just his kindness and his goodness and his faithfulness in a moment where I felt um, that I would never have the answers I so craved um, to my story, but that he, he was the answer I needed. His presence was the answer that mm-hmm. would satiate my desire. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and you, do you have two sons of your own? I do. I have two little guys. Big man is seven years old. He's adopted from Uganda. And oh, wow. he is the apple of our eye. He is so energetic and loving and sweet and just my little showstopper. We adopted him when he was two and a half, and it was a fight of our lives. And as I really processed through my own understanding of belonging in Christ, mm-hmm. husband and I felt so compelled to adopt a little, little guy. And he's just a joy. His name is Jericho Lincoln. And look, man, he's biological. And that was its own beautiful experience because I had never met a biological relative of mine until I had my biological baby. So that was a really powerful moment wow. to share my DNA with somebody. Yeah, it was really, it really was even more special than I would have guessed it to be, just to see somebody who looks like me, especially because I don't have a baby picture. 
Right, right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And he's got my curly, curly hair, my naturally curly hair, and my big brown eyes. And his name is Kingston Cross, and he's three and a half. Right. And I believe that if people want to see a picture of your children, they can go on your website. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, what in your past would you say was the defining moment that really led to your transformative, you know, moment in life? I would say a transformative moment. There was one uh, moment. I, I had already known the Lord, but the really the transforming the way I think about life and my understanding of who God is came. I was 21, so a decade ago, and I was um, – a youth leader at this youth conference, and this pastor encouraged everybody in a very cheeky youth pastor way to take off your mask and really think about what's behind what you want everybody to see. What are you hiding and what's hidden that you haven't yet exposed and brought before the throne? And so to be a good leader and a good example, I sat down and began to pray as I had my little youth girls next to me. And I just started to weep and weep and weep because it was just this moment of feeling like no matter what I do or how hard I try to ignore the deep, dark feelings of rejection, they cannot be ignored. They are affecting and manifesting in every area of my life. And I was so full of doubt. I believed that God would be good to everybody around me, and he had a beautiful, sweet, majestic, and glorious plan for everyone but me. And it was that moment that I had to come face-to-face and exchange my tender hurts for his kindness and his grace and his mercy and his hope that he was enough and that he deemed me enough. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I love that um, that story, that part that you spoke of um, just a minute ago in your book. It is a, a very powerful section that you um, wrote about. And the whole book is just so emotionally impactful. Mm, thank you. Yeah, it's just amazing. Um, I was wondering, uh, what is it that you want your readers to walk away with when they read your book? I want women to know that no matter if they've been left to fight the hardest battles of their lives, if they've been rejected for what they've done, what's happened to them, or simply for who they are, God's grace is retroactive. He can go back and heal the broken hurts and wounds that have shaped us that happened 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, and he can make us new in the here and now. He can guide our steps, and he can, and he can use those scars to be a blessing to those around us that our pain won't be the breaking of us, but really will be the making of us when we find companionship in him. Do you think your book offers a solution for loneliness? Yes, absolutely, I do. I think that so many women, um, in their loneliness, they can sometimes project onto other people, whether it be friends or significant other or even their children or, or coworkers, this idea that the people around them need to fix them and need to fix what's going on in their life. And we so long to have a new ending to the broken storyline of our lives that we expect others to do what only the King of Glory can. And so when we can really take that loneliness and go before the Lord 
and find his patience and find his healing and find his truth, then we can find that he is enough and that the way we operate in our relationships isn't one of codependency or fear or bullying or shame or feeling manipulated or that we need to manipulate somebody else, but that we can truly walk in wholeness and a vibrant approach to our relationships with health in a way that is honoring to Christ and honoring and encouraging to each other. Mm-hmm. So, so you're saying that until we come face to face, um, that we're never alone as, and as believers, that we will never, that part of us of feeling lonely will never be cured. Yeah, I think that we, it's, it's, it's satisfied in Jesus Christ, but only when we can, because we can know the Lord and still keep all the broken pieces from him. You know, we can, because our life is a journey, and we, as, as we take step after step after step, we bring more and more and more of us to him, and he's able to renew us and, and, and fix our broken pieces. So I think that um, our loneliness is satisfied in Christ, and we can find companionship. And as we find companionship in Christ, I think it gives us a healthy view and understanding of how we can relate to others. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, someone may say, well, suppose someone said to you, um, Tiffany, well, that's easy for you to say you have a family now, um, but it's nothing like having actual arms or real arms or presence of a real person in your life. What would you say to someone who says that? I I would say that our stories may not be the same, but loss, that feeling of loss is the same. Um, In our journey to adopt Jericho, we lost a little boy who lived with us for three months. And uh, it's it's one thing to lose in a domestic adoption. That's a horrific experience, but it's downright tragic when it's international and you're in another country and you, you, you never think that things could fall through and you've got their crib and nursery ready for them at home and pictures of them plastered on your wall and that feeling of loss when you feel like, where was God when this happened? Or why do I feel so lonely when this awful thing has happened? And I think that, you know, whether we're living alone or whether we're tucking in our kids alone and we feel like there's nobody to share our life with or whether we're married and, and we feel like we do have that companion, neither of those people in the flesh are meant to satisfy what only Christ can. And so this, this whole concept of that we're never alone is truly intended to mean that in Christ, we are never alone. You know what? People may come and go, this world is not our home. We, you know, they say you're either suffering, you're just getting out of suffering, or you're headed into it. We have no idea the loss that's going to hit us um, or, or what we thought we'd have forever. We, we can lose in a minute, but we can find that Christ and Christ alone is, is our companion. He will never forsake us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've had such a, an array of experiences um, that it's almost as it, it's unbelievable. I look at as I'm, as I'm reading your book, and you know, I I say to myself, "Wow, she has gone through every test um, of loneliness you can think of, <laughs> um, from being birthed, being adopted, feeling like an outsider in an adopted family." Um, feeling like an outsider in your classroom, in school, growing, um, growing up, 
feeling like in even Upbrook, I would say the next one I think was, I've been tracking your journey, I think was <laughs> having a broken heart. You, call, you have a section called Prince Charming. Yeah. And, and then you travel to India and you're disappointed there and to discover that you would never know who your birth mother was. And so there were all these lonely moments in your life. Um, and then, but what I begin to realize is that when we begin to share our stories, you begin to realize that we're all having those moments and we're not alone. That's right. Amen. Yeah. You, you understand? Yeah. You understand? Right. Like you said, we all have different experiences, but we have that. We all know that experience very well of aloneness. Mm-hmm. And the feelings are the same. The result and effect is the same. You know, jealousy and isolation and and rejection and abandonment. Yeah. And so I think that that all can play into our um, play into our hearts and minds and souls in ways that um, they really all can be satisfied in Christ. Yeah. That's good. Well, in addition to your book itself, what other resources are available to go along with Never Alone for further study? In addition to the book, I wrote a companion Bible study that dives deep into Jesus' encounter with six women in the New Testament and how we find our place as indispensable in the kingdom because of his treatment, encouragement, positioning, and and just connection he had with six different women in Scripture. It's the woman caught in adultery, the woman with the issue of blood, the woman who wept at his feet, Mary Magdalene, I'm, I'm missing one here, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well. Yes, thank you. And the Samaritan women, all so different. But each in each encounter, Jesus revealed himself as the Messiah and one who loved well. And he didn't demean or humiliate women. He didn't reject them or, or you know, throw them under the bus. He really did empower, encourage, and treat them like equals. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Tiffany. Um, to keep up with Tiffany Bloom and to read her blog, you may visit TiffanyBloom.com. And Bloom is spelled... Not like the flower, but she's like a flower. It's selfie <laughs> as in boy, L as in Larry, U as in umbrella, H as in Harry, and M as in Mary. TiffanyBloom.com. She's also active on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Tiffany, thank you so much for being our guest on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. Bless you. Thank you. Thank you.